Welcome to Econ Cafe. I'm Mike Mandel, author of the textbook Economics the Basics, and I'm joined here by Sean Flynn, the author of Economics for Dummies and the active author on the McConnell Principles of Economics textbook. And uh, today we're going to be talking about inflation, which alas is coming back. We're recording this podcast in the middle of February, right after the issuance of the February price report, which showed that inflation, that the consumer prices rose by 7.5% over the last year. Core inflation, which takes out food and energy, was was 6%, much, much higher than the 2% we've seen you know, in recent years. And the question on the table is, is this inflation going to continue? Should we be worried? Why is it happening? And what policy should be taken to sort of deal with this? And let me kind of just sort of start by pointing out that most most of the inflation that we're seeing so far is in the energy and food areas. You know, the price of gasoline is up by 40% over the last year. That's pretty astounding. The price of food is up by, you know, 7%. And, you know, food makes up a big share of people's budget. The price of new vehicles is up by 12%. And Scarily enough, the price of used vehicles is up by more than 40%. So what's happened here is that some of the old economy goods, goods and services have shot up in price with a vengeance. Is this, Sean, is this going to continue? Is, are we, are we stuck in an inflationary spiral or is this temporary? Well, my hope, and I think maybe many people's hopes, is that it's temporary. My my gut instinct, and again, economists are not very good at making predictions, especially about the future, as Yogi Berra said. <laughs> my gut instinct here is this this will pass. Maybe it'll take 18 months to go away, but it's just a legacy of Omicron and things getting really, really weird. Like, for instance, you know, maybe the best argument is imagine what the world would be like right now if Omicron had never happened. And it's hard to imagine any... You mean COVID in general? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, excuse me, not just Omicron. That was the last trench. Oh, yes, COVID in general. The last two years, is there any way to imagine we would have ended up at 7.5% inflation? And I don't think anyone would have could even retroactively think of a scenario. Then, you know, which then means it must be some combination of COVID-related stuff, supply chain shortages being one good idea, and the other being just massive amounts of government stimulus that would not have happened had COVID not happened. So we have two issues here. One issue is government stimulus, okay? And the other issue is disruptions in the supply chains, right? So part of the cost of cars going up is because there was problems in the supply chain for chips and parts. Part of the problem in the food is is that our food supply chains, which are very intricate, you know, in the early days of the, of the, of the pandemic, grocery stores were able to sort of draw off their sort of warehouses, which were packed full of stuff. And those where those stocks were drawn down, and now they're operating kind of naked. And so any disruptions immediately translates into empty shelves. And when people see empty shelves, they buy more because they're scared. And when they buy more, they're scared, they start hoarding. And all of a sudden, the shortages get more and people get more crazed. And, you know, and they sort of say, where's my, where's my hot dogs for the Super Bowl? All right. And there's a Super Bowl craze. And so your view of this, it sort of sounds like is that this is, Supply chain disruptions will sort of fade away as the pandemic eases and that, yes, there's probably stimulus in the pipeline from the government spending, but it's collectively, it's not all that much and it's going to fade away as well. So you're, you believe that there's not a problem here. 
Well, okay, some of it won't fade away. In particular, we had estimates are maybe 2 million people retired earlier than they would have otherwise, right? Stock market was up, one and a half, two million people. So the labor force presumably is smaller than it's would have been otherwise. These people wouldn't have retired early. And also some portion of them have long COVID. Well, that's true too. Okay, yes, yes. So yes, there's also morbidity stuff in there. But, and you know, and another long-term effect is just the birth rate took a plunge. Now that that's not workers that are going to show up anytime, but- We're not going to put those babies to work. Well, not immediately, but there will be a long-term effect. You know, there that, that's less labor in 18 years than there would have been otherwise. So, but that shouldn't cause an ongoing inflation. What it should do is- what economists call a level change. There'll be a run up because, you know, there's going to be, you know, say, say labor costs are permanently 10% higher because there's 10% fewer workers. I'm making up those numbers, but if there's fewer workers, there's presumably higher wages, but that's like a one-time adjustment. It might take two or three years to do that adjustment, but that will not generate 7% inflation year after year forever. Let wait, let's talk, but let's use the magic words of inflation expectations. Okay. You have inflation expectations in your textbook. I have inflation expectations in my textbook. People's willingness to raise prices or to raise wages has to do not just with having to prices now, but what they expect to happen to prices in the future because they're trying to get ahead of the game. So if you're a a business and you expect the price of your inputs to rise by 10% over the next year, you're much more likely to sort of want to get those price increases in place now and they kind of feed on each other. Is it possible? that we have permanently raised inflation expectations off of this really low number we were stuck before, rather than 1% or 2%, maybe we're up to 3 or 4%. Is that possible? It's possible, but we, we, we have to, and every textbook does this, take into account that there's this outside force there sitting on the side like a referee that can instantly change all the inflation expectations. And that's the central bank. In our case, the Federal Reserve. Will the Federal Reserve allow people to think 7% inflation could continue indefinitely? And the answer is it doesn't have to because it can affect the money supply. It can affect interest rates. It could cause a recession. And it could, you know, as, as what happens, you know, after the last big bout of inflation in America in the late 70s, it can come in as this, you know, as an outside influence and just tell everyone, sort of like Frank Sinatra in some old movies saying, hey, guys, knock it off. Knock it off, guys. And then, then what becomes weird about inflation expectations is part of your inflation expectations expecting Frank Sinatra to come into the room and tell everyone to knock it off, in which case then your expectations never really get going. It's not going to be a wild party. Nothing's going to get out of control. And so I think a lot now, Mike, I don't know if you agree, is you know people guessing what the Fed's going to do. So the Fed is inherently a political organization that is, it's an independent agency, but the Fed responds to the prevailing winds, all right? And the question is, is whether or not there's enough pressure in the economy to sort of say, you know, we people have been beaten down by the pandemic. We have a lot of people, as you said, a lot of businesses that were struggling, all right? You know, I mean, I live in Washington, D.C., and downtown, there's all these restaurants that are still shuttered because the office buildings are closed. I mean, do we want to cause a recession at this point, or is this something we want to stay away from? If you were the Fed, if you were Chairman Powell, would you be willing to take that risk? Remember, Ben Bernanke raised interest rates going into the financial crisis. They, nobody understood how troubled the banking system was. 
And you ended up, we ended up raising rates and we ended up sort of causing a deep crisis. Is it possible that, you, that the Fed's not going to go that way again? If I were Jerome Powell, I would lean heavily towards accepting more inflation rather than risking recession. If I had to play the political game or guess what political game is going on in his head and the rest of the FOMC members right now, that would be what I would think was going on. But it doesn't look like the markets think that. The markets seem to be pricing in low long-term inflation down at around the Fed's 2% target. And so then the question is, if expectations, as you say, have already been kicked up substantially higher than 2%, how do they get brought back down to the 2% that the market's guessing is going to happen in the future? And can you do that without a recession? Is there some way for a soft landing? What do you think, Mike? Soft landing? I mean, I think that one question that we sort of have, when we talk about inflation, we have to sort of talk about two types of inflation. One type is price inflation, and the other type is wage inflation. And wage inflation just means wages going up. And we want wages to be rising faster than prices because we want real wages to rise, especially for people at the bottom. And the only way that's going to happen is that if we have rising productivity. Now, there's parts of the economy, like the tech and the e-commerce sector, which do have rising productivity and have been able to pay higher wages without raising prices. There are other parts of the economy, like the energy sector, okay? We apparently do not have enough productivity gains in the, in the production of energy to sort of give us lower cost energy, which also is climate friendly. And there's another issue there as well. All right. And so the question here is, can we have enough productivity gains to give us low price increases and rising real wages? And that's the way we get out of this with a soft landing, not by squeezing the economy, but by gaining through innovation and productivity gains. Okay, but do you think those are happening fast enough? And in what sector? Are they happening in the right sectors? Well, we know when you look real closely, you know, you sort of see that they're happening in tech and e-commerce and they're happening in the new economy sectors. And these are the sectors that are actually paying higher wages and do not have big price increases. For example, and actually, let's actually just kind of talk about some of these, right? I sort of had given some of the high, high inflation sectors, but Smartphones are down. The price of smartphones are down 13% over the last year. The price of computer software and accessories for consumers is down 2%. The price of wireless uh, phone services is down 0.5%. The uh, price of recorded music and music subscriptions is up only 1.4%. And of course, in the highly advanced sector of college textbooks, the price is only up 2.5% because we know that there's great productivity gains Sean, in, a, in our production of textbooks. Well, I do feel smarter than I did writing the last edition three years ago. It's true. It, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. So, you know, one of the places where we may sort of see, product, we may see productivity gains is in the healthcare sector. The shift to telemedicine means that you can have people being able to communicate with their doctors without having to sort of go into the office. And rather than sort of spending two hours in the office, you can sort of just text or video your doctor for five minutes and accomplish the same thing. I mean, I've done that recently, and it was extremely effective. I didn't need to go into the office. All I needed was a sort of a brief chat, and I could sort of do that via an app. And if we could sort of have productivity gains in in healthcare, that would go a tremendous distance towards boosting real wages while sort of reducing costs, because healthcare costs is one of the heavy things weighing on the entire economy. Yes. So I, I agree with that. But I mean, just I'm also at the same time, just this is a little digression here off our inflation talk, but I, I've seen 
you know, these doctor visits online are now billing, being billed out at $280 a pop for 15 minutes. It's, it's not clear that, you know, in terms of bringing any medical costs down, um, yeah, you didn't have to commute, you didn't have to drive, there's the gasoline savings. But in terms of, you know, the top line cost of medical services in America, that doesn't, at least the way our oligopoly medical system is reacting, doesn't look like it's actually going to cut any costs. Let's, well, let's actually distinguish here very clearly, though, between cost in the budget sense and then productivity, right? Because what we used to do, and part of the productivity gains is on the consumer side, just with e-commerce. On e- in terms of e-commerce, you have the productivity gain that you don't have to go to the store anymore. You don't have to park. You don't have to wander through the store. You may save two hours and do the same amount of shopping. And you can see this in the government statistics on, on how people spend their time. There's been a sharp drop in shopping time. The same thing is true for healthcare. If you're sort of taking two hours out of your time to sort of go into the doctor's office, that productivity gain shows up somewhere in the economy as a lower cost. Okay. It may not show up in the place where you expect it to show up, but it shows up somewhere else. I don't know about the shopping time thing. Is the government counting for all the time I now waste comparison shopping on the internet? I, I, I would firmly believe that the amount of time I spend shopping is now larger thanks to the internet. It's called the American Time Use uh, a Survey. And in fact, comparison shopping time is in there as well. Okay. I, I seem to have reacted badly to the internet then. I'm an anomaly. I would say my I've, I'm actually less productive. I actually waste more time shopping now than I did before the internet. Well, you know, I can't help that. <laughs> this is going to be a great test of economic theory at this point. We should we should go down the list of economists, and I'm sure somebody's done this. Don't do a survey of prominent economists, what they think is going to happen to inflation and why. The why part is extremely important because you should at this point, all of the all of the factors in place that we the, the pandemic was unpredictable. I mean, and so we cannot judge anybody by their pandemic economic inflation forecasts. But we kind of know what this is going to look like at this point. We know that it's not going to go away, but it's going to sort of fade in uh, in virulence. And we know there's probably not a lot more government stimulus coming. And so the question really is, has inflation expectations been moved enough that inflation is going to be with us for a long time? And as you say, that has a lot to do with Fed policy. Yeah. And right now, not, and this isn't me saying this, it looks like from the financial markets, what we can glean out of there, you know, inflation adjusted treasury bonds and stuff. It looks like the markets believe that inflation will come back down pretty low towards the 2% target that the Fed has pretty quick over the next couple of years. And um, my question, though, which you can't tell from the you know, those those things like the Treasury inflation protected security, the inflation adjusted bonds is, does that mean the market's also expecting a recession is the only way to get there? And I don't I don't know. And Mike, you're, you're absolutely hopeful. But the way productivity grows, we're not going to get a 7% annual productivity growth to match the or overwhelm the 7% inflation. I just don't see that happening. And so I assume that the markets are assuming there's some other way out of this, even if it's a bad way, like a recession, than the, the rosy scenario you're proposing. Or am I missing something? You know, productivity is very hard to predict. We've invested a lot of money in technology over the last 10 or 15 years without getting very much of a productivity boost. Much like the last one showed up pretty suddenly in the, in the second half of the 1990s, we could have fairly large gains now, not ruling that out. But on a final note here, what would you like to sort of tell our listeners about what they should think about inflation? You would do it. Give us 30 seconds. 
if you want to do any financial plays that involve inflation, do them quickly. Like buying a rental property, you know, with inflation, it's probably rents are probably going to go up for another year or two and lock that in. If you can lock in the price of a new car that'd be delivered in 10 months because of the shortages, lock it in now. There's some things you could do to actually take advantage of the inflation. Assume that those things might be once in your lifetime, that there's this inflation that'll be big and then it goes back down to 2%. Okay. We're going to keep you on record for that, Sean. And so uh, a year from now, we will we will circle around and play your forecast about your falling expectations. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. Today, we're going to be talking about inflation. We recorded this podcast in the middle of February 2022, right after the February Consumer Report came out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but before the Russians invaded Ukraine. The price report showed that consumer prices rose by 7.5% over the past year. Core inflation, which takes out food and energy, was 6% over the past year, much higher than the 2% rate we've seen in recent years. Is this inflation going to continue? Should we be worried? Why is it happening and what policy measures should be taken to deal with this? Most of the inflation over the past year is in energy, food, and vehicles. The price of gasoline was up by 40% over the last year. The price of food was up by 7% and food makes up a big share of people's budget. The price of new vehicles is up by 12%, and scarily enough, the price of used cars and trucks was up by more than 40%. One possible cause of this inflation is fiscal stimulus. The federal government pumped a lot of money into the economy during the pandemic, so consumers were able to spend on housing and vehicles. Another possible cause of inflation is disruption in the supply chains for goods such as vehicles and food. Shortages of the semiconductor chips that go into cars and appliances have slowed down delivery and boosted prices. The Russian invasion is also likely to have an upward impact on energy prices since Russia is a major source of oil and natural gas. The willingness of businesses to raise prices or wages depends on their inflation expectations, what they expect to happen to prices in the future. If a business expects the price of its inputs to rise by 10% over the next year, it is much more likely to raise the price of its product now to try and get ahead of the game. The Federal Reserve is likely to react to high inflation and rising inflation expectations by raising interest rates and taking other steps to tighten monetary policy and slow the economy. It's possible to raise wages faster than prices if companies are innovating and productivity is increasing. For example, the use of telemedicine makes it possible to deliver care with less time spent by patients and doctors. The increase in productivity could hold down price increases. Thank you.